good to be here. Um, this is home. This is my sending church. Catherine and I um, laugh when we come here because it really is like coming to um, kind of a, an origin place for us. And uh, I bring you greetings from Hope Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Um, we are proud to fight alongside you to fight the good fight of faith in this world. And uh, we pray for you uh, we ask that you pray for us, um, because, well, this fight is a fight, and it's a fight to believe and to hold firm and to be faithful, and we're glad that we're anchored in Jesus Christ, the faithful one, who provides everything we need for life and godliness at all times, and so, um, anyway, it's just a real privilege to be here, uh, so on behalf of Catherine and I and our whole church, thanks for this opportunity. Um, if you have your Bible you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that your word still speaks. And we pray tonight as we stand in your word and we think about what it means to be a people that you possess people who have received mercy, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that your Holy Spirit would awaken our souls to see the beauty of Jesus and his good news clearly, that we would be transformed and changed in the presence of the risen Christ as he speaks and offers himself to us even now. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So when Josh called me about this, um, and he told me that part of the weekend of me being here and 
working with leaders and talking with, with different people that this was going to be the start of your 30-day journey into your church covenant, into finding out what it means to be a covenant community and to renew yourself towards that. I got really excited um, because, like, thinking about covenant stuff is like my wheelhouse. That's, that's where I love to think and pray, and I think that there is something absolutely beautiful about the way God talks about what is happening with his people that he's invited in to covenant through Jesus Christ. Um, This passage, the way it talks about it, it says that we're being built into a spiritual house, that we're being made into a royal priesthood. In lots of ways, what that says is that God is putting his hands to us all together to form us into something we weren't before. And as we um, start to talk in this context, or I, I always talk about, it's weird preaching here because I'm an insider and an outsider. I feel like I'm an insider because I've, I've been here foundationally, but I'm also an outsider because I haven't lived here in eight years, and most of you don't know me. You just know that I say things kind of like Josh sometimes. Um, that I, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the covenant community together as a we tonight. So don't let that freak you out because I hate to say you because I'm included in the command and the, the, the implications of Scripture because I've been welcomed in by Jesus too. And so uh, when God talks to us about what it means to be a covenant community, one of the things He makes very clear is that He very purposely is transforming us and changing us to be something we weren't before we were connected to Him. That this whole idea of being covenanted in is very important to understanding what it means to be a covenant people. I mean, like that's, that's the adjective we're using to describe the kind of people we are. Our church covenant. It's more than a contract, and it's more than an agreement. The word covenant in the Old Testament, making covenant was actually a way of making family. Um, like that was the kind of word that you, you used when you were trying to make someone who was not your blood, your blood. I mean, that's why in, in Louisiana, they have covenant marriages as a legal offering. Why? Because it takes two people who are not blood, I hope. I have to say that in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> it takes people who are not blood, and it makes them family. The way... They did that in the ancient Near East is that they made a covenant together and it was an agreement and it was two-sided and it had uh, certain expectations and certain provisions that were a part of that relationship. And so when two people who were not family chose to become family in marriage, they covenanted together and that was usually accompanied with the shedding of blood and a meal. And that meal was commemorated regularly And when they ate together, they would remember the promises that they made to one another. And that at one point, they were not a people, but they had become a people. They had become one. Uh, A close analogy that we might have today is adoption. And that's something that's close to Catherine and I's hearts. Um, We um, have recently gone through training with the state of Kentucky to become foster parents. uh, With the option in that to actually take children who are not ours 
and to make them ours. Um, and that is scary and like weird. And we actually got a phone call on Friday that there's a possibility that we might have two kids in our house by the end of this week. And we're very excited. But also like the weight and the reality of taking people who are not your family and, and giving them a family relationship with you is becoming front and center for us. Because, well, at least when you adopt a child, what you're doing is you're taking someone who's not blood and you're making them blood. In biblical terms, you would be covenanting them in. And so it's important for us to realize that um, when we talk about what God is doing with us, it's, it's much more than us simply being in an agreement together or kind of having a social contract where I agree to do X, Y, and Z, and then you say you will do X, Y, and Z, and we're like kind of together. It's not a social club. It's not some sort of uh, camaraderie that God, in his infinite plan of what to do with his beautiful creation, decided that the best way for us to understand how he wants to relate to us is by making us family. And that was actually going to take some effort, especially because um, we are a ruly bunch, are we not? In light of God's goodness and love and holiness, um, there's a lot that we have in our lives that looks nothing like the family of God. I want to read a few scripture to you tonight. Um, In Exodus 6, verses 5 through 8, um, God approaches Moses with this plan. And basically, uh, the people of Israel, who God had made a promise to, actually made a covenant with their father, uh, Abraham, were enslaved in Egypt. And when he comes to Moses and He says what he wants to do. This is how he describes it. He says, um, and this is in verse 5 of chapter 6 of Exodus. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, With great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So God's plan of redemption has an end to it that sometimes we miss. Sometimes we think the end of being saved is like being forgiven. But the end of being, like the end of redemption is not simply forgiveness. Although forgiveness is a part of it and it's wonderful. It's such an amazing gift. But it's the start of a much greater work. God's goal is not just to make you clean, but it's to make you family. And to make you look like family. To help you act like family. So that his family, his creation, that he loved and gave the breath of life would would be all that he made them to be. 
in Jeremiah, when the prophets begin to announce to Israel, who has been rebellious, and in their rebellion, lost everything that had been promised to them in covenant because they couldn't keep their end of the deal. Through the prophet, he announces a new covenant that's coming. And it's a covenant that's not based on Israel's faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of God. And he says to them in chapter 31, verse 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declared the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That should sound familiar. That's what he said that he was going to do in Exodus. And no longer shall each one of them teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so when God starts to announce a new action and a new covenant, a new relationship that he wants to build with his people, the end game is the same. To covenant them in. Which is not just to get them in a better agreement, but it is to have a family. So at the table in Luke 20, when Jesus lifts up the cup and he says, drink all of you and do this in remembrance of me, for this is the blood of the new covenant what he's announcing there is something pretty profound. He's starting to say to them, guess what? Through what I'm about to do, I'm going to open the door for you to be family with me. For you to be my brothers, my sister. For you to be welcomed in to the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And and that's what really happens when we come to Christ. It's not just that we are cleansed. It's that we are cleansed and we are welcomed into the family of God. Into the very heart of the Father, Son, and Spirit who is always loving and giving themselves to the other. That through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, that we are welcomed in. In Romans 8, when Paul describes this, he says very clearly, hold on, I've got it. That's not it. He says this in verse 15 of chapter 8, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. You realize that the Holy Spirit in you, what it, the Holy Spirit, what He testifies to us as children of God is not that we, like the word that He says there, He doesn't say that the Spirit says, clean, Although he does affirm that in us. He doesn't say forgiven. He says, Abba. That the mark of the children of God is that we have a spirit in us 
that confirms that we have been made sons and daughters of God. This is very important to keep in mind. As you start to talk and pray about what it means to be a covenant community, because it means that you have been made sons and daughters, it means that you're a family. And guess what? You can pick your friends, but you don't get to pick your family. It's a really important thing to remember as we look at the aim and the purpose of what God is doing in us and for us. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2. When he says that he is making us into a spiritual house, that he's making us into a holy priesthood, um, well, lots of times when we hear that language, especially in that passage, that's one that is used oftentimes to talk about a doctrine that is referred to as the priesthood of the believer. And maybe you've heard this before. If you haven't, the idea is really simple. Um, it is the idea that we don't need someone to mediate the presence of God for us. Because Jesus Christ has gone before us as our great high priest, and he has opened the way for us to have direct access to God. Through his sacrifice and through his continued intercession in the heavens, we can, as the writer of Hebrews said, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. That we can come to him and find the grace, the grace and the mercy that we need. That we can pray boldly. That we can seek him boldly because Jesus has opened the way for us. And that is absolutely beautiful truth. But, I don't think that's what this passage is really getting at. You see, when, when Peter here is telling them that the aim of God, like as you focus yourself on the precious and beautiful cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that you are being made into this precious priesthood. In a lot of ways, what he's saying is that the goal of you being family is not just so that you have family, which is awesome, but that you would be a family that does what Jesus does in relationship to the world that he loves. What does a priest do? In all reality, a priest is the person who represents humanity in front of a deity and the deity in front of, the human in front of humanity, right? The priest is the go-between. The priest is the one who can enter in and stand face-to-face -face with the deity, and then he can go and stand face-to-face -face with the people, and he is the bridge. He's the go-between. And God says, I'm making you a holy priesthood. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the high priest. But the aim of your community life, your family life together, is that you would be formed and shaped to do what a priest does in this world. Which is to hold hands with God and to hold hands with the world and bring them together. Like that's, that's what God is wanting to transform His family to be. That is what all forgiveness is aimed at. That is what all healing is aimed at. That is what all obedience is aimed at. That, that we, that me and you and us together in this world, as the body of Christ, would follow our head, would follow Jesus, and act as His hands and feet in seeing the world reconciled to the Father. 
That is our family way. That is our family mission. That is our family foundation. Tonight, as we start this journey, start this 30 days of praying through a church covenant and saying, what does it mean for me to be a covenant person? You need to recognize that it is founded on the act of Jesus Christ reconciling the, us, making room for us in a family that we didn't have a part. That we were once not a people. We forget that. Sometimes we, we live life like we've always been given access to God. That we forget the cost of the cross. That we put aside the reality of the resurrection. We forget this reality that none of us had a place in the family of God. But God, out of His great love, with which He lavished upon us while we were dead in our sins, He came. He gave His life. He raised us with Him. That as we put our faith in Him as our Savior, that we are transformed and changed. And that we go from being not a people to being God's people. If you had a spiritual last name, I, oh, I guess it wouldn't be Christ because it's not Jesus' last name. But you know what I mean. It would be God's family name. Yeah, your last name's Christ now. Um, but the idea is that you have been covenanted in. You have been adopted. You have been welcomed. The Spirit of God in us testifies that we are the children of God. And because of that, you are being formed and transformed and changed to take part in the mission and life of Christ. Tonight, we are going to look at what that means through the most clear picture that God has given His church. Um, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion together throughout the 30 days of prayer. So if you don't like communion, sorry. <laughs> I hope you do like communion. Um, because it is a picture worth fixing our eyes on again and again and again. I think that's why Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of Him. It's because the bread and the cup, they not only tell us our family story, but they teach us our family values. They teach us who we are and how we are to live and where we are to go to find the kind of transformation and change we need to join Jesus in reconciling the world to himself. And so before we come to the table tonight, I just want to touch on a couple things that we see in the bread and the cup. First, we see that our family looks and is meant to look like Jesus. That broken bread and a cup poured out remind us that our family life is to look like Jesus' life. I want to read a passage to you from Philippians chapter 2, which this is, continues to be one of the most life-giving and eye-opening passages for me when I start to ask, what does it mean for me to act like my family? Matter of fact, as Catherine and I have been praying about two kids possibly joining our house, whether it be for a few weeks or for the rest of our lives, who knows? As we've been praying for that, one of the things we've been asking ourselves is what does it mean for them to... And bought, like, what does it mean for them to be a Kazi? 
Uh, and we've been blessed to have family on both sides of us and friends as well who've shown us that like, there are ways of embodying family values that are, you can pass on in ways that transform your family and allow you to um, live what you value. That it's not enough to say something's important, that we have to live these things out. The bread and the cup teach us what our family values. In verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like the shape of our family life is meant to look like that. The bread and the cup testify, they scream to us, our family is rooted on self-giving love, on humble obedience, on surrendering our rights to see others reconciled to God, of following the Father and trusting that if we die with Him, we will rise with Him, both in a figurative sense and in a literal sense. Every part of us that's called to carry the cross will see resurrection, but the path to resurrection is through the cross. That's the shape of our family. When we come to the table, we are testifying that this is our family creed. This is our family value. This is who we are. We are a people who are saved and being transformed to look like Jesus. We also hear the table teach that we're in this together. That we are not just an individual son, an individual daughter, but we have been made a body. That's why when we come to the table, we come and we take of one loaf. And we drink of one cup. Why? Because I don't get to go to Jesus by myself. Every time I commune with Jesus, I am also communing with the saints, with the people of God. One of my professors in seminary uh, tells a story where he was um, set up to become the dean of the School of Theology at a very popular Christian university in the Midwest. He was finishing up his Ph.D. in England, and uh, he had already been hired for the job and was meeting with staff there uh, on the phone, uh, setting up things to where when he graduated, he would literally pack his family up from England, fly to the Midwest, and start as the Dean of Theology that day. And three weeks out, he gets a phone call from the president of the university, and the university president says, I had a vision, you're not the man. Sorry. Hangs up. <laughs> and he was infuriate, infuriated. Like, he was so angry. He was broken about it, but he was also just mad. And he said that he was just inconsolable, and his wife was like, you know, um, 
hey, it's Sunday, let's, let's just go to church tonight. And he was fighting it, which is funny to hear a dean of theology candidate or you know, someone who spent their life saying, oh, I don't want to go to church. But his wife talked him into it because she's a wonderful woman. And they go to church, and that night um, they come to their time of communion, and um, he's praying and just seeking the Lord. And he said he just kind of got this picture, and it was Jesus standing there, he was holding hands with the guy who called him. And then he was holding his hand out to Bob. That's my teacher. And he basically said, Bob, if you're coming to the table, you have to come with him. Because you don't get to come by yourself. You don't get to choose. Which Bob understand what Jesus was telling him to do in that moment was in order for him to be the son that he was made and saved to be, that he needed to forgive. And he said, God, if you're inviting me, that means you're offering me the grace to do it. And so he went and took communion and forgave this guy. You know, sometimes we don't think about communion as being something that involves the people around us. But you know, the way we live in community is a part of how the world is being reconciled to God. Which means it matters how we live together. It matters how we act and interact it matters that we live in forgiveness, that we live in encouragement, that we live in the truth, that we live in, in love, that we live in holiness together. It's probably why Jesus said if you've got something against someone or if they have something against you, don't come to the altar. Go take care of that business. Why? Because taking care of it is a testament that when you come to the table, what you're putting your hands to, you really value it. It really matters. This is a part of us. We also learn at the table that, um, that we're a people in need of God's grace. Um, and of course, the picture of the broken body of Christ and His shed blood for us is always something that we have to keep in clear view. That we... Uh, we're dead in our sins. And we've been made alive to God in Christ. Through that once and for all sacrifice that He has offered, that we have been um, cleansed and saved and redeemed. And that we are being saved even now. But there's also this wonderful picture there that we're still in need of grace because we're still being offered bread. We're still being offered the cup. Jesus didn't just die for us once, then leave us to fend for ourselves. And that's one of the things I love about the table. Uh, and, and this is maybe something you've never thought about. But because Jesus is alive, because He is risen, and because we have the Holy Spirit, every time we come to the table, it's exactly like it was the time that He broke the bread in front of the disciples. He is present, and He is offering Himself to you. That... He has been crucified once and for all. But even now, He is standing to offer us everything we need because He's always offering us Himself. And that's why it's important to come to the table expecting to meet with Christ. It's not because anything happens to the bread. It's because Jesus is alive and present. That we're not coming just simply to remember something that once happened 
But as we remember what happened, we also remember that he's here and he is risen and his spirit is present in us and that we can bring our needs and find him offering himself still to you. Son, daughter, here is me. Take me. It's not about what happens to the bread or the cup. It's about what happens to us when we encounter Christ. And every time we come to the table, we are encountering the living Lord. And we're invited not just to think on Him, but to participate in Him by taking what He's offering us and through bread and cup in faith, saying everything that You offer me, Jesus, everything that I need for life and godliness, I, I want to do. Like I want to take it. I want to receive it. That's why finally... Um, the table teaches us about the fact that we're with Him. It's a place where we declare Him as risen Lord over us. Um, and sometimes we, we can get this really twisted view of communion where it's, it's about like, well, God gave Himself for me, so I'm going to give myself to Him. Uh, and that's not the whole truth. Because there's nothing that we've ever been able to offer that has made a way for us to commune with God. The cool thing is like when we come and we dine at the table, that we are saying yes to God. We are saying yes, we want to receive from you this grace. We see what you've done for us, that you've died for us, that you've risen for us, that you're interceding for us, that you're coming for us. And we want to participate in this and we want to come as sons and daughters. We want these things and we're saying yes to the Lord. But our yes is actually being held in the much stronger, much more beautiful yes of Jesus that Jesus Christ himself has given himself and still today is offering himself and making a way for you to come and be a part of this family and to be transformed and to be changed into the person that he saved you and made you to be. That at the table we are reminded that we can be changed and that our willingness is never going to trump God's willingness to change us. That his yes is being held. His yes is holding our yes before the Father. And when Jesus is saying yes, when we're saying we need grace and he's already saying yes to us, you know what that means? We can actually become the holy priesthood he's forming us and shaping us to be. Why? Because once we weren't a people, but now we're God's people. Once we hadn't received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So tonight, as we prepare to take communion, I, I just, we're going to take a couple minutes and we're just going to pray. Um, and we're just going to give uh, some time of silence for us to just recognize the fact that, well, when we take communion, um, we have an amazing opportunity to see what Jesus has done for us and to participate in what Jesus is offering to us. Um, so if you're here and there's an area of your life where you need the grace of God, come expecting Jesus. He's not the bread, he's Jesus. But he's offering himself to you. If you're here and you need forgiveness, look at the bread and the cup and hear the witness of the Holy Spirit that forgiveness can be yours.
that he's purchased it and he's offering it in full. As you start these 30 days, maybe there's a part of you that's like, there's parts of my life where I probably haven't been representing the family all too well. That sounds very mafia-like. Um, the family. Uh, I haven't been living like a son and daughter of the Most High. Guess what? Tonight as you come, come asking Jesus to put his hands to the parts of your life that need to be shaped more and more so that you can look like the holy priesthood you're called to be. And maybe you just want to come on behalf of the church, which is cool, because his promises are not just to you as individuals, but they're to us as a whole, that he is taking us and forming us into his body, his hands and feet, the go-between, standing and yielding and surrendering to Jesus Christ, our head, our high priest, so that just as he is making a way for us to the Father, so that we as his hands and feet can continue to do that to everyone that he loves, to all those in need of that same adoption, that same forgiveness, that same healing, that same restoration. And so let's take a few moments and let's pray. And let's think about what we're going to do. And ask the Lord. Ask him. Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, I, I'll ask on your behalf. Holy Spirit, if there are things that you want to put your hands on tonight, if there are things that you want to speak to us tonight, in these few moments before we take communion, bring them to light. And you can just take a moment and let's just attune our hearts and ask the Spirit to bring to light anything that He may want to address as we prepare to remember and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us at the table. So tonight as we take communion, just so you know, we're going to take it in a version that's called intinction, or as my preacher likes to say, it's the rip and dip method. So you're going to take a piece of the bread, and then you're going to dip it into the cup. Just so you know, someone in front of you drinks from the cup, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, but we're going to come to the table together. Sons and daughters of God, you have been welcomed by Jesus Christ. The Almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth. He made us in his image. He breathed in us the breath of life. And when our love failed in sin and rebellion, his love remained steadfast. He delivered us from captivity. He made a covenant with us. He spoke to us through his prophets that he would send the one who would pave the way. And so we give thanks for Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God anointed him and rest upon him to pronounce liberty of the captives. And he came and he healed the sick and he ate with sinners. He fed the hungry. And through participation in his death, his burial and his resurrection, he gave birth to us, church. His sons and daughters.
And when he left and he ascended to the Father, he said he would send us his Spirit. The Spirit who now testifies with us. Abba, you are being welcomed to the table. And so that night, when Jesus took the bread, he said a prayer and he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup and he blessed it and he offered it to them, saying, This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And when you take this meal, you proclaim my death until the day I return. So now, as his sons and daughters, we come to the table and we pray that his spirit would hover over us and these gifts that they would transform us, that we who were not a people can be and live like and be shaped and empowered to be a holy priesthood in this world. That we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. That we would be His body broken, poured out for the world, redeemed by His blood. So I'm going to invite up our servers. And uh, I'm going to offer them communion, and then our band's going to come up, and we're going to respond. And you can respond, just get in line as you feel led. And um, we're going to worship and celebrate, and just in thanksgiving, um, remember and participate in the life that God is offering us at the table.